and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. Today, I'm speaking with Gary Montague, who is the CEO of Heart Hero. It's a new company behind a new portable and affordable AED. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Paul? I'm good, thanks. From your social media channels, it looks like you've been very busy lately. So thanks for taking time to speak with me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Very excited to talk to you. Very passionate about what you're doing and what your audience is kind of going through. I gather you were a CIA medic (laughs) before Heart Hero. So can you tell me what took you from (laughs) being there to a CEO of a startup making an AED? You just jumped right into it, didn't you? (laughs) What took me from leaving the job I love into this is honestly my beautiful little daughter, who's now three years old. And subsequently, I have a beautiful one-year-old little boy that I absolutely love. So that was a precipitating factor to stop serving kind of the government and and doing a job I, I truly loved. And it was an interesting do- job. It was like going to Oz and seeing behind the curtain at Wizard of Oz to see how how the cogs of the world kind of really turn. But, you know, my daughter deserved to have a father around that read her uh, nighttime stories and get her chocolate milk in the middle of the night and, and et cetera. And I, I love being there every moment. I just dropped her off at school. In fact, your uh, audience can appreciate this. I had about a 15-minute drop-off and flailing on the ground in a typical three-year-old temper tantrum. And, you know, I'm glad I got to experience that. So <laughs> so, so how, how, did, how did you go from being that, that medic to coming up with, I don't know if you came up with the idea of the AEV? I did. I did. So I... I you know, as I've kind of done some some soul searching myself in why am I so passionate in this and, and why did I go from a CIA medical officer to an entrepreneur to founder, CEO of Heart Hero, part of it is just my my thought process of how can we innovate, how can we make things better? And I was on an operation and it happened I was working next to a guy who has a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering. And we get bored on these operations. So I looked over at him and I said, why can't my cell phone shock somebody? You know, we're in the CIA. We've seen the movies. I've watched James Bond, you know, Casino Royale when, when they got shocked. Why don't we ha- truly have a portable defibrillator yet? You know, and this is about the time frame that, that cell phones were kind of coming out and stuff. And he looked at me and said, how much do you need? And I said, give me at least 150 joules by phasic. And he goes, that's not a problem. Your cell phone can completely do this. And, and it sat in my back of my head and it kind of really made me go, wow, this is incredible, right? But again, sat in the back of the head for years, I continued to do my job. But when I got out, for some reason, this idea of a cell phone was kind of a calling to me and it was still bothering me at that time. And I just, I really didn't know why. And as I've kind of progressed in this, I've come to a better uh, idea of why I'm so passionate and why I follow you guys so much and why I'm so passionate about bringing this to market. What is that passion that's burning inside you? Yeah, so the passion is what you and your audience has come to realize and has had to live through. I've had to live through myself. I, at the age of six years old, my mom left the house and I remember telling her to put on her seatbelt as she was going to a party. And I remember before six, a very fun, uh, great childhood. That night, the telephone rang at about 3 a.m. My dad comes running into the room telling me that I need to go wake up my four-year-old sister. I was six years old and we need to go. 
the next thing I remember is pulling up to a car accident where two cars met in the middle at the center line. And one of them was my mom's truck and the other one was uh, a car. And I remember sitting behind my dad, grabbing his shoulder, saying, Daddy, it's going to be okay, but not really knowing what was happening at that point. I get to the hospital. My grandma takes me. The next memory I have is walking into the hospital room. You know, my mom has some tubes in her and she's now kind of coherent. And what I came to find out is that my mom ended up having a cardiac arrest, a trauma core. So not the typical cardiac arrest like you, but, you know, subsequently she ended up, you know, having a brain injury and an anoxic brain hit. And this is the wake that I've realized that when that happens, the person that goes down from that event might not be the same person that came back. And it was very, very relevant for us. When I walked into my mom's room with my sister, my mom goes, hey, that's, that's my daughter, Rachel, who's her friend, and never remembered having me at all. Oh, wow. And as you can imagine, you know, from that moment forward, you know, I kind of started having a devastating childhood at the age of six. You know, my parents ended up divorcing because of this, not because of kind of a failed marriage or so. It's because my mom literally had to relearn her entire life. And at one point looked over at my dad and said, when do I get to start dating again? Because she was trying to find herself. She was trying to find a new normal. So this is a wake that what you you and your audience is, is having to go through and the family members, it, it's real, it's grave. And I've had to live through it myself. I, I'm really bad at spelling. I, I, I'm a horrible reader. And all of it really stems through when I was a childhood, I regressed down and I didn't learn any of those basic skills. In fact, there, there's a whole period of my life that I, I can't remember. I was told I only ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for an entire year. Because, you know, the person that was making it for me, I didn't want to see that as my mom at that time. So I, I just didn't want to make any, you know, have her make me any food. So I just regressed over to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So it was re really kind of an interesting childhood. And, and as I said, as I've kind of done this, this is where a lot of my passion drives from is that understanding cardiac arrest and, and how the chain of survival plays out. And AED is such an important chain of survival that really can help bring that same person back. So they remember an anniversary, they remember a birthday, they remember who, who they're sitting across from. So that's, that's kind of where the stem of this, this, this company comes from. Uh-huh. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that story. No, no, don't don't I mean it's life. We, we all have it. I'm sorry that you had a cardiac arrest. You know, I mean, this is life, but but it, it's what can we do to make life better while we're here for the short time? Well, it was exactly. I mean, we're, we're both on a similar sort of mission really trying to make something good out of something bad really. <laughs> I'm, I imagine it it must be um quite a task to, to create a, a product like this. I mean, I, I know the, the, the basics of an AED are fairly tried and tested over the years. The software, the heart of the device, if you like, excuse the pun, um, I'm guessing it's not just something that you can just download off of the internet. And I can imagine testing and all the sort of approval stuff you've got to go through is, is not easy or, or going to be easy if you haven't done it or, or even cheap. So how, how did you sort of actually get to a product? So 
when I got out of the agency, I, I told you that this was still burning. That was about 2016. I did a bunch of due diligence. And, and as a medical provider, I knew that if I was pushing on a chest and somebody was in cardiac arrest, it was a really bad day. Uh, the likelihood of sitting there having to tell the family members that their loved one has passed is, is very real. And physicians will commonly tell you why they're very stoked in that moment. They'll go home and cry. They grieve just the same way. And, and the physicians that are my friends and et cetera, we all do the same thing. I'm married to a very beautiful emergency room physician who, you know, comes home, has has a glass of wine, and then and then unloads on me on some of the patients because it's very, very personal, no matter how you try to try to act in front of the family members. But what I didn't know were the numbers around that. I knew anecdotally it wasn't a good day. I did not know that national average here in the US is a seven percent survival for cardiac arrest. And really our only option is to identify those in cardiac arrest, call 911, start CPR, wait for the ambulance, hope that the chain of survival all works. And now you have a 7% chance of, of living. We're doing a little better here in some of our places. We're getting up into the 20% and et cetera, but still to me, that's not good enough. When I also realized that this is the number one greatest killer, you know this, your audience knows this, it kills more people than breast, colon, lung cancer, prostate cancer combined, add firearms, motor vehicle accidents, et cetera in there. And, and, and that number was really staggering and kind of grave to me. Take it a step further, that really drove it home was 70% of all cardiac arrests happen in the home environment. And maybe even more so because you're talking, if you include nursing home, skilled nursing facilities, et cetera, where there's a little bit more advanced care, you add that in there, really it's only 19% or so will happen out in the public, but yet we have this huge push for public access to fibrillators. Well, why do we have them there, but we're not punching them into where we can make the greatest difference into the house? So that was 2016. That really struck home to me that we can make a dramatic difference. And why isn't this ubiquitous like a fire extinguisher? Why aren't we making a greater difference and a, and a bigger cause and giving the public something that they can actually have? So I looked over at my wife and I literally said these words, I have no business creating an AED, none whatsoever. I do not want to get in the AED game. I want to get in the disruption game. I want to get into... How can we readdress the talk track around cardiac arrest and empower a, a nation, a country, and really the world on how we think about cardiac arrest differently and what is the exact chain that we start moving? We have to do that off of a really novel AED, and that will be our platform in order to have this greater talk track, and that's exactly where we're going. So that was very long-winded of where the start of this is. But I'm not an engineer. I'm a medical person, so I don't know how to create an AED. It'd be very much like you having this passion. How do we do it? I did have my buddy who was an uh, electrical engineer, PhD, but he already had another job. So he kind of was a, help, a guiding light. I, I started researching around for engineers, and I found uh, a gentleman, St. Brain, Jim Gilbert, here in the U.S. out of Boulder. And he's a spinoff of Medtronics. He was a Medtronics gentleman. And he, I believe he actually created uh, the Bovi, the electrical cautery thing in the OR. He was very passionate about this, and he really wanted to, to kind of get into this creating an AED with me. And he helped build up kind of the A-team to prove this out, because ideally... I want this AED to work off of store-bought batteries. And it was a single 9-volt battery that ultimately I was wanting to work off it. In order to facilitate what we needed, we needed a few things. We needed it to be portable. AEDs, putting a handle on them right now and calling it portable is not truly portable. It needs to fit in your purse. It needs to be of the device. And then the third thing is it 
needed to also have consumer adoption. How can a nine volt, something that I've put on my tongue that, you know, I, as a kid to see if it, if it would shock me or not, and it had a little charge could hurt somebody. And and that is the, that's the idea that we had behind this and why we want to use a consumer battery and really be upfront with consumers of, Hey, this is a life-saving device, but I mean, they're little batteries. How can they really hurt somebody (laughs) and kind of bridge that gap and make it so the AED is no longer a, a fearful object, but it's an empowering, helpful object. Uh-huh. We're also in a time of our life where we've never adopted tech as much as we do today. And we're willing to give over, honestly, our livelihood to tech. We have auto-driving cars now. It tells us where to go. I mean, if you start thinking about it, even 20 years ago, how, how crazy is this for us of the expansion of Uber? 20 years ago, you'd have like a seven-year-old gladfully walk a mile down the road, but never get into a stranger's car. And now every day we sit there and we'd be more more comfortable putting that seven-year-old to their friend's house in an Uber, essentially a stranger's car, instead of walking a mile down the road. So, you know, we're, we're kind of adopting like our app, our tech, and, and how we're moving forward. We now have uh, a bunch of wearable devices and we have more data at our fingertips than we've ever had before. But the one missing thing that we're, we're missing on that is the therapeutic. It's great that your Apple Watch can tell you that you're, you went into cardiac arrest, but what are you going to do about that? So enter, enter Heart Hero. So passion has really been to be disruptive and bring that AED uh, to market. So that's kind of long-winded uh, about what it is. As I moved forward with designing and creating an AED, and you said I, you probably can't download it off the internet. Actually, you can. There's a, a school, and, and some people did a thesis using a car battery and creating an AED. So you could go home and, and create your AED. Is it going to be FDA approved? Absolutely not. But you can go. You can go ahead, and it's all it's all open information on, on how to create an AED. What I ended up finding out was creating an AED is really really easy. Creating an AED that will get through FDA that you can punch into the homes and actually make a difference is really, really hard. And I, I got I to gotta give kudos to our engineering team. Uh, our industrial design was done by a company, Blackhagen. Our electrical design and now kind of bringing this forward to the FDA is done by a company, Garrett Technologies. So one of the things that I learned within the agency is to utilize contractors hire experts. Because if I tried to build up this team organically, I'd still be flailing. But if I hire experts, like the former R&D for Zoll is now on our team. The gentleman who pushed the Welch Allen AED through the FDA is on our team. The regulatory gentleman who is the only one who's ever gotten over-the-counter approval for an AED is on our team. So, you know, I I've really kind of embraced this change in our society and, and how we're able to kind of move forward with this. And, and our mission is to use this and move forward with a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. I can I can totally see that it, it is the right product for for the time I guess because going back to what you were saying before about one of the motivations when I when I left the hospital um, I've got two sons and I was a little bit concerned because I didn't get an answer to why it happened to me I was worried that it was going to happen to my my kids so I did look around that at getting an AED at home but they were prohibitively expensive for me at that time mm-hmm. and they didn't look the part to put in your home basically they were mostly big ugly type things I mean uh, so 
to say hear what you're saying there make makes sense because we do need something that goes into the home and from from what i've seen of the the press from the shows that you've been doing recently in particular one was it last week the ces 2020 i mean you you've had a lot of uh, great feedback and press from what i've seen and um and so it's, it's all looking good. And, and also, one of the things is, it's also not just the English press. I've noticed you sharing articles from, uh, I think it was maybe Holland and maybe a Spanish-speaking one. And that, that's one of the things we, we can touch on a little bit later about one of the features of the device. But you, you mentioned earlier about the other guys don't know you're coming. Have you had any reaction from the big AED vendors like Zoll and Cardiac Science? you know, to to really bring awareness. And if you look back at the history of AEDs, you know, AEDs came out, physio control had them. And then there was an engineer in physio control, Carl Morgan, who wanted to work on the low energy biphasic and ended up spinning off of physio control and created HeartStream. And HeartStream's purpose was to punch AEDs into the home. And HeartStream now goes by the name of Philips. You know, Philips ended up acquiring them, and, and that's where it's kind of sat. That device didn't fully facilitate what you know HeartStream's ultimate goal was, but what we're doing is kind of picking up the the ball and, and running with it of what HeartStream ultimately wanted to do by making a smaller device, by making it affordable. We see an avenue where we can continue the HeartStream's mission of punching it into the homes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So. You know, the, the press that we've been getting has been phenomenal. And and what I've been more shocked about is people's adoption for facilitating HeartStream's goal of getting in the homes. Surprisingly, people really want an AED. They just didn't know they wanted it. And as soon as you give them the option for it, they go, yeah, yeah, I would definitely buy one of these. We are not FDA approved. We're not regulatory approved at this time. So we are not attending any of these shows generating, you know, business or purchase orders or anything. We're doing nothing more than just creating awareness that we want disruption and that let's have a further talk for change. Because one of our biggest rhetorics that I believe in this company is the best AED is the closest AED. I don't care if it's a Philips. I don't care if it's a Zool. I don't care if it's a Defibtec. I don't care if it's a Chinese knockoff or our device. If somebody's down on the ground and you can grab and reach an AED, that is the best AED to grab. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's an incredible uh, proposition you put in there, but your investors might not like to hear that. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I can I can talk about that real quick, you know, because you did talk about the money and, and, and it is a lot of money to bring a class three for the US, the most scrutinized device to market. We're talking millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars in order to do this. About 70% of our investors are physicians. So they have been truly impacted by cardiac arrest in one way or the other. And then we do have some, you know, private equity money, bigger money that is helping support this, this cause. One of the things that I've been very, very clear on, and I've ensured that we did this for the right purpose, is I've always told the story to the investors that we are a life before profits company. And if an investor handed us money and said, when's my, what's my ROI and how fast am I going to get a return? We have never taken that money. Because that's the wrong mentality. If they hand us money and they go, how fast until we save our first life? 
that is the right money. That's the right motivation. That's the smart money to be able to be taking because everybody's on the same page with what we want to do with this company. So what I say, the the investors have heard heard that very that same exact talk track, and, and they're all supporting it. And behind this, disruption is key. Punching in the home is key. Saving lives is key. Profit. If you focus and you build a, a company around those motives, financially you can figure out how to make it profitable and how to how to make it work. But let's have an altruistic and good goal first. Fantastic. I, I love all of, all of what you've just said in your motivation. I mean, have you had many investors come to you and, and then walk away because they, they don't see that they're going to get their money back soon? You know, I, I would say right early in the beginning, we had that, you, you know, but again, that's with any startup, right? Like you have to sell the dream. You really don't have much to show. Hey, why is this guy the guy that's actually going to do it? Luckily, you know, people found my backstory a little interesting. Then they talked to me, obviously, like you're talking to me right now. I'm really a passionate person and, and a passionate person that's also dangerous in the fact of I just don't quit. I don't stop and I love to pivot and, and until we achieve our goal where we're sitting now with the company as we now have our device that we're putting together our our regulatory package and and submitting over to the regulatory bodies. The money is a little easier to come by. (laughs) So because people see the device, they see the passion, they see the news that we're being able to generate. And on truly the the disruption that we're having and kind of how we're focusing that. Mm -hmm. So do you um, anticipate the, the big players will come back with a domestic model to compete with yours? So creating an AED is incredibly easy. Creating an AED that can get through regulatory and FDA approved that you can truly make a difference, incredibly hard. It's, it's not even in the same, same scope. So, you know, you get a lot of these people going, hey, yeah, well, we could do this and X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but do it with the right parts, the right sourced parts, you know, and, and, and making claims the correct way for the FDA is what I found to be extremely extremely difficult. And that's why I'm very, very proud of the engineering team and the regulatory team that we have created because they all have experience in the AED world specifically to ensure that we're, we're working in the right direction and we're actually innovating with our device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think what you said there about the quality of components is key in a device like this because you don't want a cheap Chinese knockoff and then coming to the point where you need to use it and then it doesn't work, do you? No. So we actually have a relationship with Duracell right now and we're in their OEM part of it. And I was talking to the director who ran it. I I went to Duracell's headquarters and it, it was quite interesting. So we're using four CR123 batteries in our device. Originally, it was a 9-volt battery, but when I went to Duracell and presented this to them, they said the 9-volt battery is a dying battery for the market share, and they'd recommend not using that, and they'd recommend using a CR123 battery. I know this battery very well from my military days, and I'm truly in love with this battery. So it wasn't a hard push for me to to turn this over. So the CR123 battery is the battery that's going to ultimately end up replacing the 9-volt battery. But what was really funny uh, about Duracell is they said, hey, we're going to open up our testing facility and our R&D facility to you for free because we want to test this device. We want to make sure that this device works and the batteries never look like the failure component of this device. And I said, Duracell, that's fine. You can test it as much as you want because while that might be a bad PR day for you if the batteries didn't work, your company will survive. If I pushed out a device that didn't work and I couldn't trust and it hurt somebody or or didn't work the way it should have, 
that's that's not a PR nightmare for us. That that's something that's going to disrupt and, and 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 honestly grenade our company. And I can't have that. So you know, Duracell's mission and my mission are directly aligned. A very very robust and reliable device. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, Duracell. You couldn't get a better battery company really to go along with you. Yeah, we, I was really proud. You know, growing up, I, I really liked the name, the brand recognition, and I was I was, I was really excited when they when they bought onto this mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking about what you just said about the the grenading your company, I did a little bit of research and I found a, a report that said between two thousand and five and two thousand and nine, there were twenty eight thousand malfunction reports of AEDs, which is equivalent of one per every fifty device. And 750 of those resulted in a death. And those errors were from like just displaying incorrect messages to, to not powering up at all. And there were 17 device recalls. I can imagine they caused chaos at the time. Yeah, and, and those were a little minimized. Uh, you know, those reports are, are, while staggering, are also, you know, kind of small in, in the products that went out there. But th- that is one of the reasons why the U.S. went from a, a Class two medical device, a 510K, to a PMA device, a, a Class three scrutinized. And part of it was to ensure the reliability of the components and the manufacturing, to to not be taking different steps uh, around that and and you know it, it's it's about a reliable device and and honestly i embraced the class three i embraced the pma because i don't want a device out there that i can't give to my own family members you know if i if i can't turn it over to my grandma or my mom or something like that then why would i even think about turning it over to another family member just to make a buck that doesn't sit well with me i, I need to i need to be able to sleep with myself at night and, and look in the mirror and say we did right Mm-hmm. The figures I quoted were sort of like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the sort of current failure rate is today of other devices? You, you know, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm sure it's out there, and, and I think it's relatively small. But, I, again, you know, it, it's still an electronic, and it does, it does happen. But I, I will tell you, part of our testing facility, as we bring this to market, you know, our process is it comes off the line and it actually goes through visual checks. It goes through electronic checks. And then we actually, I, I believe we, we, we do something called like a halt testing on it. You know, you, you actually do power ups, power downs 50 times. So we generate 50 shocks on the device before we'll even punch it out to the market. So we know that the device works and it works really well and does what it, it can do. And, and so we have multiple checkpoints and testing along the way to ensure that the device that we're putting to market will be a device that's reliable. All of this is what's being compiled right now and, and going to be submitted over to the regulatory bodies for them to review and look over. Mm-hmm. So you're actually manufacturing the devices or is it just in very small numbers? For a class three medical device, it's really interesting. You know, unlike a, a widget or burning a consumer device to the product to to out to the you know the the population, you actually have to build up your entire manufacturing process. You have to verify and validate it how you're going to do it. So you have to run it completely off the line and go. This is this is our product equivalent. This is what's going to come off the line and be sold to the public. And then you have to stop there. <laughs> and it costs a lot of money to do the tooling, to get manufacturing engaged and et cetera, before you can even 
you know, before you even know if you have public adoption on what you've actually created, because you can't turn and sell a device. So, you know, there's a lot of testing, a lot of human factor testing that has to go into this going, we think we have a really, really good device, but we have to wait for that FDA approval. We have to wait for their okay on this in order to have to do this. So it's, it's, it's part of the reason why you asked, are the big guys going to come in and compete with us? It's really hard to, to do this. It's really, really time consuming to do this. And, and truth be told, this is why HeartStream was created. It's because innovation within the big companies is sometimes stymied because you have to get through finance, you have to get through regulatory, you have to get through the lawyers, et cetera. And you know, that is, is a means for, for kind of stymying a company, right? You know, uh, why would we, you know, chew our own arm off. Well, we're making really good market share right now. Why would we create a device that's going to penetrate into that? And it costs us, you know, $40 million to create, to get there. <laughs> so uh, how long do you think it'll take to get through the FDA process? Right now, typically when you submit a packet, about 180 days is when they, when they will review and let you know, you know, there's usually, hey, fix this language or fix this little deal and you, you fix it and you resubmit and it, that isn't the 180 days. So I would say it typically takes a year to less than a year to get through. We're hoping to be on the quicker side of things, but you know, uh, kudos to the FDA. They're just ensuring that a reliable device is going out to the market and that's where they're sitting. And, and you know, I used to be on the government side of things. I, I I put my pants on the same way every day on the government side that I did here. The FDA wants to innovate. And, you know, we've we've had a discussion with the FDA and they, they were very encouraging with what we're doing. They, they see the need for this, too. And they just want to ensure that a company is doing it with the most reliable and, and, and good means possible. Yeah, well, totally uh, understandable. <laughs> they don't want to be responsible for these devices going up, out and failing because it, uh, it looked bad on them as, as well as you. Yeah. So, so do you hope that you may get it out in the shelves this year? If if I had my magic wand and I could do that, yes, I, I absolutely. I would love to be on the shelves over in Europe by summertime, and I'd love to be on the shelves here in the U.S. by Christmas. Again, this is my motive. This is my magic wand, but I, I am, you know, I am honestly at the mercy of the regulatory bodies and. All I can do is put together the most robust, best package that we can achieve. And with the team that we have, I believe that we're doing that. So I, I'm very, very proud of our device and what we've done. And I'm really excited to get it out to market and start empowering people. So you just mentioned Europe there. Is it going through a different process for Europe or does the fact it's FDA approved mean it can be used in Europe as well? No, no, you need the uh, notifying body to get the CE mark to to be able to reach out into Europe. So we're actually looking at attaining that one first and then obtaining FDA after that, along with a, a bunch of others. Well, I, I was going to say, oh, that'd be good for us then, but we may be actually out of Europe. Well, we will be out of Europe by then. <laughs> Whether uh, CE still is applicable, I guess it will be to us, remains to be seen. But what, one of the other yeah, things... Yeah, I- we... we- we don't know the, the the fallout of of that just yet. So you know, a lot of people are still assuming that the CE mark will will come over and be able to bridge that gap. So yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the other questions I was going to ask is about uh, where's the device being manufactured. Uh, you know, it, it's I, 
I'm very, very happy about this. We have been able to engage with a tier one manufacturing, and typically we don't talk about our, our manufacturing uh, partners and process and stuff, but I, I can disclose that we we have engaged with a tier one manufacturer that has uh, experience building AEDs for some of our, our current competitors. And typically you need to be doing about 50 million uh, US dollars in revenue before these guys will even look at you. But because of the mission, because of what we're doing and because of their experience and how innovating our device and our board is, they brought us on into their company. And and I'm really, really proud of that because we're having a reliable uh, company that, that does that does just a ton of class three medical devices that are life-sustaining right now. They do a bunch of military stuff, et cetera. So really products that, that need to be uh, tried and true and work every single time. That's where we're starting our manufacturing process. And, you know, when I started this, people were telling me that that was impossible, but you know, you, you sell the dream and you show them the device and people want to make a difference. It is an international company. So Part of it is in the U.S. and our validation process that we're going through is here in the U.S., but ultimately we'll probably be moving overseas. I really wanted to have stamped in the USA, made in the USA. You know, I was pretty passionate about that from the get-go on this, but ultimately, you know, I'm more passionate about saving lives and saving lives means we can reduce cost and drive this into the home better. And that is exactly what we're doing. Okay, so perhaps we should go on to talk about the actual device itself. And apparently it's called Elliot. Is that right? And if so, why that name? Uh, You know, again, it reverts back to the fact that we have, you know, started having in our society adopting to tech. We have Alexa, we have Siri, we have other other things that we have now kind of given a face and a name to. And that's exactly what we wanted to do with this. Elliot's there to help you out through this, this very trying time situation that you'll be going, most stressful time that you'll probably undergo in your entire life is seeing, seeing a loved one laying down on the ground. So we wanted to empower somebody with, with, a, with a name and identity that, that they could start to kind of build a character around. Why did we come up with Elliot? Well, as as we did our human factor testing, uh, we went through several iterations of what the device would look like and what the human factor testing perceived the device would be best used at. The one that, that came out was the one with the handle that you actually see today. But the mock-up device that we're using for human factor looks a lot like a speak and spell. And I am of the age bracket that whenever you say speak and spell, I immediately think of one of my most favorite favorite movies as I was growing up as a kid. And that was E.T. You know, and the speaking spell spell was for uh, phoning home. And I was thinking about who was the guiding light for E.T. through his his very trying times. And it was Elliot. So there's a little backstory for you and your audience on exactly why it's called Elliot and and why we gave it that, that persona. (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing so it was exactly what I, the thought i had in my head about elliot who who do i know that's that sort of character and i was thinking et and that, it, that, it, that. and if you remember in the movie he was actually shocked uh et went into uh vtac and was shocked with a defibrillator in the movie yeah it was at the at the very end it's a been a long time since I've seen that movie. <laughs> Perhaps I need to go back and look at it. They don't always portray um, resuscitations very realistically in movies, though, do they? Well, you know, when you're doing it on an alien intergalactic stuff, you know, it's a little little interesting. So you have to give them some artistic leeway there. So, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, assuming he has got one heart and it's in the same place we have ours as well. Well, remember it glowed when uh, he did the finger and stuff. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot had a very big heart. I mean, the ET had a very big heart. So. Uh-huh. Okay, you sort of touched on on what the device um, sort of looks like. Could you just sort of describe it for our listeners who are perhaps younger or haven't seen uh, a speak and spell device? Yeah. So, you know, again, when we created this, it had to be a really innovative device. And we have a lot of innovative tech on how we've been able to shrink our board down to a very small board that's also very, very reliable. And the device itself looks a lot like the speak and spell, which you can think of almost like a a lunch pail type of uh, device. It has the user interface right on the bottom part of it, and then it's got two arms, and then it has the handle up there. So it's very easy to pull out of your backpack, your purse, etc. And, you know, it roughly in size, it's about six inches by six inches by about an inch and a half or so. So quite small, quite compact. That is including the battery and the pads in there. Comes in for a weight of US about 1.3 pounds. I believe that converts over to about 0.6 kilos for you guys. So pretty small when you're when you're talking about the same battery and the pads included in there. Yeah, that's very light, isn't it? Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. wh- and what color is it going to be? You know, that's yet to be determined. Right now, it's currently gray. But as we switch over and we start doing production runs, that's when we're going to finalize down on the colors. So, Paul, I give you I give you a, a swing at this. What what would you want? Well, I must say, I saw a previous iteration, which I think was a sort of a creamy color, but I saw the gray one. I quite, I quite like the gray color. Okay, okay, yeah, it's it's getting a lot of likes around here, so yeah, uh, that may be it. Yeah, gray, gray's very in. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, other features of the device you probably would like to know, it it is unique and a lot like the devices that are coming out. But specifically, we created this device not to sit there and talk about specs with other AEDs. And you see AEDs getting into this game. Well, I can do this escalating shock. I can do etc. I have this feature, this feature. We took an we we designed this to basically meet industry standards across the board for an AED and then go above and beyond this. So we created a device that we're now talking about lifestyle. We wanted to create a device that's with you, that facilitates your lifestyle, not have you confined to a device. You know, I think about this for us as when I was in grade school, I was taught that anything that's hanging up on the wall behind a glass cabin, I'm not allowed to access. I'm not allowed to touch. I think that's a wrong mentality that we've been sending to the industry, putting AEDs behind a glass cabinet. I mean, here in the US, we have axes that are behind the glass cabinet. I've never needed to grab an axe and swing through a door or anything like that. But I, I even go as far as, you know, we were told about the the urban legend, urban myth that if you grabbed a fire extinguisher, blue ink's going to come out on your hand so they can tell who, who pulled the fire extinguisher in school. So, you know, there's kind of hesitation of, ah, that's a fire extinguisher. I, I don't want to be anywhere near that. I don't want to touch it. So the AD, I don't know why it has, has this and it's being sold as such. So we want to really break it out of that glass case, break it off the wall and create a a lifestyle device for you. So the AED is small. It, it, like we just said, it is portable. It is the exact same pads for adult and pediatric. Does have a pediatric button in there. It is bilingual, so you can you can change the language 
for whatever culture you're trying to facilitate. What else does it do for you? It, it has uh, connectivity features where you can program it as you unbox this wonderful unboxing experience with your app and, and program it on if you want American Heart Association or if you want European guidelines, etc. This is where we can change up the language. You can change up if you want geo-tracking features in there because our device does have cellular and Bluetooth in it. One of the novel things, if supported in your local area, is the feature that it can reach out and call 911 and instigate that. And what I really want to do with that is kind of encompass and the chain of survival. No longer do you need to figure out, do I need to call 911? Do I need to walk away from this body? Do I need to, et cetera, et cetera. You can put the most therapeutic thing on them that they need at that time. And it, it's not necessarily CPR, it's an AED. If you ask any clinician and they had the chance to do CPR, the chance to do an AED, they'd always put the AED on them immediately, see if they can get that initial shock, and then you, then you run into CPR. But for us as a society, we haven't had a chance to, to rechain that, tr- that talk track. That, you mentioned that it can automatically call 911 in your case. Yeah. Would, that, would that be able to call emergency services in the UK or other European countries or, or anywhere else in the world? Yeah, so so where we're looking at right now is implementing it in the US. And we are reaching out to some partnerships to push this and uh, turn this on over in the EU also. So so yes, your your answer is I, I would like to get it there. And it is it is the goal of the company to have it reach out to emergency services across the pond. That's brilliant. And then you, you mentioned that it's bilingual, multilingual. How, how many languages and what, what can you give me a sample of a few of those? <laughs> well, you, you know, because it has a, an app feature to it, really, it, it comes down to what language do you want it in? And what language then do we need to program? So, you know, honestly, what we've kind of looked at is if anybody wants more than 50 units into a country, we'll facilitate the native language. Okay, that's cool. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they will. <laughs> yep. So, so this this is basically a, a domestic type device. Does it have have any sort of special requirements? Do you have to store it in a particular place? I know a lot of existing ones need ambient uh, temperatures. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, you, you know, I I can't as we're going through our our validation verification testing, what we have intended to design. So, this is not. This is not uh, uh, tested out, but this is our intention design is is to be the remote, most robust device out there. So the IP rating is six seven, so it is waterproof, dustproof. So you could, you know, if you wanted to, you could take the thing snorkeling. Where we really look at that is like a maritime use, or even if it's in your backpack and you spill a bottle of water on the device, it's fine. You, you don't have to necessarily worry about your device if that would happen. So IP67 is something that we're shooting for. The other thing that we're shooting for is a temperature range of negative, negative four degrees Fahrenheit, negative 20 degrees Celsius, all the way up to 50 degrees Celsius. So a, a wider and, and bigger temperature range is, is something that we're looking for. Again, really a device that, that comes to your lifestyle versus you having to be confined to a device. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see this being perhaps in, been used in place of community AEDs? 
Yeah, I, I, I think it can facilitate that exact same goal of any community AED, right? So because it does have the cellular and Bluetooth chip in it, it does automatically call out. So your maintenance program around an AED is much easier. No longer do we really want you to have to buy this big maintenance robust system. So if you are the safety manager of a town or a province or et cetera, you can actually look at all of your AEDs in that facility. So if you're looking at a thousand AEDs, you can see a thousand AEDs. Batteries are good. Pads are good. Has the AED been moved? Is it moving? Is it in use? Et cetera, et cetera. The connectivity and the IoT, we're just turning it into the 21st century. And that is our goal as we design this device is to to play with that. Now we kind of juggle, you know, to what does what does Gary Montague want in the features of the device, and what are the engineers telling me is reality for the device and for the state this day and getting through the FDA. So we're kind of balancing those out, and we're honestly, you know, a few months away from officially disclosing the full capabilities of our device. Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds brilliant device and totally bringing it into the 21st century, as you say. I mean, I've always thought they, they're missing a trick with not putting a, a GPS type a tracker unit because the number of stories that I see in the UK of where devices get used or maybe stolen and then they can't find this uh, piece of equipment or there's a lot of worry and stress because it's it has been used and gone out somewhere and someone's just taken it home and not not replaced it um right so so that would certainly save that wouldn't it yeah, you know, I believe you guys have good Sam over there. We have Pulse Point over here. You, you know, they're they're great, great programs, right? Absolutely wonderful programs, and and they do have the AEDs on there, but they're stagnant AEDs that somebody has has punched in. Uh, fast track that over to what we're capable of. You can actually see those AEDs then in real time. Is that AED really there? Is that AED really ready to go? A little more confidence of, of where that AED is at. Mm-hmm. Is is all that sort of a circuitry? Is that working off a separate battery set to the what would be giving a shock? No, no, no. It's working off the same one. So our, our four CR one two threes can facilitate all of that. It can also it has a three year shelf life. Same with the 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 pads there. Now, as you start using this in, in lower temperatures and it, it it you know sees a little more austere environments and you do real time geo tracking with it, it's going to chew the battery life. Absolutely. But again, they're they're only four CR one two three batteries, uh, so you can you can easily replace that. You can go down to your local grocery store here in the US and just buy them right off the shelf. Mm-hmm. So you, you think four batteries would sort of in a, a typical temperate climate would last uh, three years, you say? Of Absolutely. If, yes. if that's, that's if it's not being used, uh, presumably. Yeah, so it does. It, I mean, it is being used because it does its own self-checks. So it does a daily, a weekly and a monthly self-check. Um, sorry, sorry, I meant, I meant uh, at delivering therapies. Yep, yep, yep. And 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 that's what I was going to say is that delivering therapies that that's part of the why the batteries are so robust in AEDs is when they do that self check. You know, typically once a month they'll actually do a full charge and a full self check. Uh, so they'll deliver a full shock therapy within itself internally just to make sure that everything's working. Uh huh. So be- presumably, as part of your offering, you'll be there'll be some sort of portal that perhaps people can log into who have perhaps who've got a uh, many of these devices and they can see see them all. A- absolutely, sir. And and all the status and everything. Yep. Yep. Nope. That that's part of, that's part of our app that we're building out. 
that, that the connectivity of this. Yeah, so you can actually go. And what's beautiful about it is it has a parent-child relationship, a term that we use where you could see many devices or many people could see one device. So if you bought this for grandma and all of the siblings want to make sure that they're monitoring grandma's device, they can actually put it on their thing and make sure that it's monitoring. So then when grandma's device, is, batteries are going low or pads are going low, then all of the siblings can actually get that. If grandma's device is moved off the wall or et cetera, they can actually see that. Or if the pads are pulled out, they'll get those kind of alerts. Excellent. One of the things going around Facebook just recently and probably other social media things is a meme talking about the Alexa CPR mode. Does, oh, uh, and, and I can't any, see anyone really re- using that in a, a real life situation, but I could see perhaps that it might be handy for sort of training someone or giving someone uh, a little bit of a foretaste of what, what it might be like. Does, does your device have a training mode? Absolutely. So our, our device, you put in training pads in it and it flips it into training mode. So you can you can get very comfortable with this device and and, and practice with it and work through it. I, again, we built this device to be very engaging with the public and very so you have a lot of confidence in, in the most stressful time. You know, this is this part goes back to part of my training is, you know, taking these very stressful situations, you need to break them down into very, very simple steps. This is why our device is fully automated. So there isn't a button necessarily to push. All you need to do is pull the pads, place them on the chest, you're done. So yeah, yeah, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a two-step process to, to help you out. You were asking me about Alexa, and I kind of told you, yes, our device does have training mode in it. I am a big fan of all of this tech that is coming out. The U.S. even had uh, one that you you might have seen a while ago where it can tell if you're snoring or if you're having agonal respirations and you're in cardiac arrest. So, And I've actually talked with those people, and, and they are, I, I think it's amazing technology. They're, they're a, little, a little ways away from prime time, but... And how cool is it going to be for society when that comes up and and uh, we're kind of moving this ball forward? So it, it's exciting times that we're living in. And I'm a, I'm a fan of anybody trying to move the needle on cardiac arrest, whether that's, you know, some other AED startups that are coming out there. I don't I'm really agnostic on on people coming out. I embrace anybody to come into this this industry. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned your device has got a cellular collection. Would that be able to transmit video and live, pardon the pun, live cardiac data? It, it can uh, transmit cardiac data uh, and it can transmit live cardiac data is how we built out this device. Absolutely. Wow. You know, when will that be implemented in our first AED? Yeah, time will tell. Probably not. That'll probably be in version 2.0, but it's actually built in there for that future and it will be shortly right down the road. So uh, we're again, we're really excited. Our, our device is extremely feature rich and really data driven. It's a data driven package. While it looks very, very simple on the outside, the back end and what it can do and how it can facilitate treatment for the physicians and capture all of that data so we can make better clinical decisions of the event is what I'm really excited about. Furthermore, with the cellular feature, with the connectivity, we're going to be able to capture more data of where cardiac arrest has happened, what the initial rhythms are, and we're going to be able to study that. You know, I'm a firm, firm believer in evidence-based medicine, and I want evidence-based medicine after it's been peer-reviewed. So, you know, I'm excited about the fact that AADs work, 
you know, we're not really coming out with anything and I'm not trying to push on the door and say, Hey, AEDs need to be implemented immediately. And the first to say it, I mean, we have the casino study that says faster you get an AED on somebody, more people live. So that's all we're trying to do, but grabbing the data and the initial presenting rhythm and what can we do around that? That's going to be just absolutely amazing. You know, we have some other really sneaky and fun stuff that we're, uh, we're putting in this to really help out resuscitation and this kind of resuscitation revolution that we're in to empower everybody. Mm-hmm. That sounds absolutely fantastic because I, I know that it's, it's one of the big holes, really, that people don't know what the initial rhythm was, do they, when when someone's turned up with, with an AD? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, if you if you step back for a moment, we have a lot of this discussion that the initial AE, the initial rhythm for AEDs or, or cardiac rhythms see either PEA or asystole, et cetera, and the shock rhythms are really low, right? Well, if if you step back and you look at this uh, on a timeline situation and you ask somebody like yourself who has an ICD in their chest, how often do they go into asystole or PEA? It's very, very rare. They're, they usually go into VTAC, VFib, and they're shocked right out of it. And then you got to go to the hospital and get, get it fixed. So, you know, cardiac arrest is kind of this, this time continuum. And I really don't like the fact of people saying, hey, the initial presenting rhythm is asystole. I go, yeah, but what was it like 30 seconds before that? What was it a minute before that? What was it when they immediately dropped down on the ground? If we can bring the AED and start talking around seconds to response versus minutes, and think about how many people we're going to be able to save. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, you, you talked about lots of uh, potential fe- features uh, that will be coming up. Is it, will they be um, updatable through the firmware? A- absolutely. And th- that will be a fairly straightforward process for the consumer to do, a bit like updating your iPad or something. Yeah, and this is what's really fancy is as easy as you say it, it is right there. It's extremely complex to do the risk mitigation and the risk profile and submitting it into the regulatory body. So it's great to say, yes, we can do that. <laughs> Implementation of it is, is incredibly hard to make sure that, that you can do it in a correct and safe and cybersecurity manner. So we have to be very cautious about cybersecurity these days and, 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 and work that angle. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I mean, again, it's such a cool world that we live in that we can do that, but it's it's really hard to put that into a class three medical device. From what you've said, it, it sounds a almost perfect AED. I mean, the uh, from my point of view, if if I was thinking of one that I would design, I think it sounds like you've ticked all the boxes. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I mean, and again, the only reason why I have done this is what AED would I want in order to achieve the lifestyle that I want to live. And let's have a different talk about where AEDs need to go. And that's punching into the homes. That's that's on the patient immediately. It's also an anxiolytic. Let's, let's be honest, right? You go to the hospital and you're diagnosed with some type of heart condition. If you're newly diagnosed with congestive heart failure, you're sent home. But congestive heart failure, and I'm pulling this deep, deep from my brain, but I believe they, they're like 27 times more likely to have cardiac arrest than the general public. And yet we don't really do much except put them on you know, meds to kind of hope that they, they don't run into cardiac arrest, but they're going to. Why haven't we not sent somebody home with an AED? Why haven't we progressed that way? Because you know, if you go to the 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 hospital and your kid has an allergic reaction, you're going home with an EpiPen. 
That's going to happen. And that EpiPen, you know, it gets used, yes, but it's really an anxiolytic. It really provides a lot of comfort and security to that family that they have something now should they run into a situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. As we're coming to the end, well, I haven't got any more sort of technical questions uh, around the device, but is there any other information that you'd like to tell us about the device at all? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm excited to put this in front of the regulatory body and have them have them review this and, and take a look. I'm excited to get this out to market, and, and and you know, we said it from the beginning, but we talked a lot about the device and and what can we do with the device and how can we punch it into the market. It, it's really the goal of life before profits, and that's why this company is so different because because of what we what we want to do what we believe you know i, I just I, i'm i'm excited to see where we're going to be where cardiac arrest survivability will be in five years from now truly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh well ho- hopefully your device will be out there in numbers to to make a difference a positive difference in in that 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 is a goal. We have some sneaky stuff up our our sleeves that 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 will move that needle. <laughs> well, it, that needle. this is coming to my my question now is the the million dollar question really is how do you get it into the hands of the people? I mean, in your marketing stuff, uh, you say it's going to be affordable, and I, I did read somewhere or, or heard you say that it's going to be less than half the cost of anything on the market today. And if I if if I look at the U, UK sort of uh, defib sellers. The cheapest I could find is about £850, which translates to roughly $1,100. What Have you got a price point you're looking at? Can you tell me it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, we, we need to, to see what we come out to the market. But I, ideally, I know... And I just told you all the features of our device. So if you played the the you know MBA game and what can a business sustain and what can the market sustain, our device could easily sell for two thousand dollars. You had Physio Control and Zoll come out with devices just recently at the around the two thousand dollar price point, and our device is smaller but yet feature rich, just like their devices are, et cetera, et cetera. However, we're looking at coming out of the market at around $795 for our device, but really with the goal of driving that price down once we get up into volumes to sub $500 for our device. And is that still too expensive for the, the average person to buy? It is. It's still a decision maker that they would have to do. But what that price point really helps us facilitate is an open dialogue with insurance companies and an open dialogue with with other entities to sit there and go, yes, I need an AD. Yes, now it's affordable. As I did some of this research in 2016, one of the things that really, really, truly bothered me was churches, gyms, et cetera, were having to do fundraisers or have ADs donated to them. This is a life-saving device. We shouldn't be relying on necessarily donations for things. We should be making it affordable that you can just get it. And so that is our goal of this company. So that's where we're we're driving our price point is to be, you know, half of the most affordable AED out on the market right now, but significantly less than an equivalent feature rich device. Significantly less. So really empower the people and empower a, a continuing talk track with with insurance companies and etc mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when you ship it into other zones like uk will, will that price stay um, roughly that with the translation of obviously the um, exchange rate 
Yep. So exchange rate and whatever the, you know, the import taxes would be and stuff. It, it is, I, your, your life over there is no different and no more valued to me than my life over here. And I, I put us all on the same exact playing field of that. I want to save anybody anywhere at any time. I mean, that's just, that's what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the only other sort of cost that I know that goes with these devices is obviously the sort of running costs of the batteries and the pads. And I just did a quick uh, Google, and if I'm right, because I haven't really seen a CR123 before. Uh, a camera flash battery. Okay. So they're, they're not that expensive. Well, they're very cheap. I think I've got two Duracells for $6 or yep. six pounds, I think it yep. might have been actually. So you're not talking very much there. What about the pads? Yeah, we're looking to be, uh, you know, significantly less with the pads. Also, you know, probably around fifty dollars ish or so, and we'll we'll know that a little more as we kind of come out. But ideally, that would be the business plan, the business market. So, yeah, we're we're excited, excited to be kind of the lowest cost ownership of a device. Not only the lowest cost device out there, but really the most feature rich, but the lowest cost of ownership of the device so continuing cost Mm -hmm. it sounds like it certainly will be and so where will people be able to buy this device we talked about the time scales maybe the end of the year maybe next year but whereabouts will it be in your walmart and amazon those sort of places I, i would love it i would love that definitely you know we have some some ways to go to to achieve that and get there but right now, we're looking at using uh, your typical distributorship and some of your big players online, hopefully, would be able to do that. But, you know, that that will be rolling out and launched as we kind of as we kind of get closer to market and we get closer to being able to sell this. We'll be able to talk and disclose and and, uh, and let the, the consumers know where they can get it. I mean, following us up on social media is probably the best way to know when and where and how our status is doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are they? Could you tell us your website and social media channels if people want to follow you? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Social media channels is at hearthero. AED, and that will get you for our Instagram, our Facebook, and our Twitter uh, handle. And our website is is hearthero.com. Uh, very excited about that, that domain and the fact that we have it. So, and Heart Hero, at Heart Hero AED, I believe, is also our LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And you're also on YouTube as well. You've got quite a few videos out there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. We I, I like to do an education one, you know, study time where I take some of the interesting studies that I have uh, seen and I, I just discuss them and uh, welcome and open an engagement with the public on it. You know, one of the most recent ones is why is there a difference between men and women and the survival rate when in the public setting for cardiac arrest? And I I, I think everybody that is listening now knows exactly why women don't get helped as much. So that was a that was a very popular one that we did. Another one that I thought was really interesting is if you live in kind of I think you guys call them flats but like a condo type of deal, if you live, you know, above the third floor, your likelihood of surviving cardiac arrest significantly drops and if you live above the 25th floor, uh surviving cardiac arrest is zero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh for this study. So that was a that was a really interesting study and again, I uh, I, I really look to studies, evidence-based medicine, peer-reviewed. So those are the studies that we kind of talk about and, and have further discussions along. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen some of those studies and some of your videos, actually, and they're very, very interesting and well worth a watch. <laughs> Thanks. I, we, we try to have some fun. You know that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a serious business, but we got to have some fun around here. You sort of touched on training just then. Uh, do, will people need to be trained to use your device? I know a lot of the talk through people the what they need to do when they um, pull out the pads and what have you but but do you our, our device yeah our device does the exact same thing as a typical aad walks you through it you know any aad out there is meant for the layperson to be able to just go up and kind of grab uh you know we have a very nice unboxing experience with a very crafty you know quick reference guide that will really walk you through the AED, very large user manual, but ultimately the AED itself is pretty easy to use and pretty self-explanatory. And that's how we've tried to design it. Now, we still need to get through human factor testing and we still need to put that up in our file and our submission. So we'll, we'll ultimately be able to, to put a stake in the sand and say, yes, this is how easy it is to use, but that is our goal as we design this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But presumably people should really go and get some proper training training anyway 100 percent. yep completely completely agree with you that our aed is not here to replace the current training that you should do everybody should get cpr training and aed training to really kind of help bridge that gap you know it, cpr is absolutely fantastic and it buys you time to the aed we're just making it so that aed can get there sooner and save more lives and that that's ultimately our goal, but you're never going to hear me walk away from needing CPR, needing CPR training and needing AED and AED training. So big, big fan of that. <laughs> well, Gary, it's been a fantastic uh, conversation with you. You're incredibly passionate about your subject and about your, your AED. Uh, I just hope it's a, a big success, which it deserves to be. So thanks a lot. Paul, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all of your, your users and kind of the struggle as you find a new normal after cardiac arrest or the families that have been kind of left in the wake. So I, I read up on your, your, your social media sites and, and my heart goes out to some of these stories and stuff that, that I read. So this is exactly why we've entered the game. It was not to, to get a Learjet for our investors, but it is to make a difference in, in your user group and, and, and who's following you. Okay, it's brilliant. And I wish you all the best with this endeavour. Perfect. Thank you, Paul. This concludes this episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast, and I'd love to know what you think. And you can do that via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the website suddencardiacarrestuk.org. And you can find us by Googling Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK or the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast. If you have found value in this or other episodes, please help spread the word by leaving a review on your podcast provider such as Apple or wherever is convenient. And don't forget, if you want to know more about Life After Cardiac Arrest, check out our books Life After Cardiac Arrest on Amazon. Make sure you click subscribe and I'll speak to you next time.